Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 9 and 10 of Marie by H. Ryder Haggard. And now, our story. The Promise Of the original 35 souls, not reckoning natives, who had accompanied Henri Marais upon his ill-fated expedition, there now remained but nine alive at the new Marais Fontaine. These were himself, his daughter, four Prinsloos, a family of extraordinary constitution, and three Myers, being the husband of the poor woman I had seen committed to the grave, and two of her six children. The rest, Hernan Pereira excepted, had died of fever and actual starvation, for when the fever lessened with the change of the seasons, the starvation set in. It appeared that, with the exception of a very little, they had stored their powder in a kind of outbuilding which they constructed, placing it at a distance for safety's sake. When most of the surviving men were away, however, a grass fire set light to this outbuilding, and all the powder blew up. After this, for a while they supplied the camp with food by the help of such ammunition as remained to them. When that failed, they dug pits in which to catch game. In time the buck came to know of these pits, so that they snared no more. Then, as the biltong, or sun-dried meat they had made, was all consumed, they were driven to every desperate expedient that is known to the starving, such as the digging up of bulbs, the boiling of grass, twigs and leaves, the catching of lizards, and so forth. I believe that they actually ate caterpillars and earthworms. But after their last fire went out through the neglect of the wretched kaffir who was left to watch it, and having no tinder, they failed to relight it by friction. Of course, even this food failed them. When I arrived, they had practically been three days without anything to eat except green leaves and grass, such as I saw the child chewing. In another seventy hours, doubtless, every one of them would have been dead. Well, they recovered rapidly enough, for those who had survived its ravages were evidently now impervious to fever. Who can tell the joy that I experienced as I watched Marie returning from the very brink of the grave to a state of full and lovely womanhood? After all, we were not so far away from the primitive conditions of humanity when the first duty of man was to feed his woman and his children, and I think that something of that instinct still remains with us. At least I know I never experienced a greater pleasure than I did when the woman I loved, the poor, starving woman, ate and ate of the food which I was able to give her, she who for weeks had existed upon locusts and herbs. For the first few days we did not talk much except of the immediate necessities of the hour, which occupied all our thoughts. Afterwards, when Murray and his daughter were strong enough to bear it, we had some conversation. He began by asking how I came to find them. I replied, through Marie's letter, which, it appeared, he knew nothing of, for he had forbidden her to write to me. "'It seems fortunate that you were disobeyed, mine heir,' I said, to which he answered, nothing. Then I told the tale of the arrival of that letter at the mission station in the Cape Colony by the hand of a wandering smoo, and of my desperate ride upon the swift mare to Port Elizabeth, where I just succeeded in catching the brig Seven Stars before she sailed.' Also I told them of the lucky chances that enabled me to buy the wagons and find a guide to their camp, reaching it but a few hours before it was too late. "'It was a great deed,' said Henri Marais, taking the pipe from his mouth, for I had brought tobacco among my stores. "'But tell me, Alan, why did you do it for the sake of one who has not treated you kindly?' "'I did it,' I answered, "'for the sake of one who has always treated me kindly.' And I nodded towards Marie, who was engaged in washing up the cooking pots at a distance. "'I suppose so, Alan, but you know she is affianced to another. 
I know that she is affianced to me, and to no other. I answered warmly, adding, And pray, where is this other? If he lives, I do not see him here. No, replied Moray in a curious voice. The truth is, Alan, that Hernan Pereira left us about a fortnight before you came. One horse remained, which was his, and with two Hottentots, who were also his servants, he rode back upon the track by which we came, to try to find help. Since then, we have heard nothing of him. Indeed, and how did he propose to get food on the way? He had a rifle, or rather, they all three had rifles, and about a hundred charges between them, which escaped the fire. With a hundred charges of powder carefully used, your camp would have been fed for a month, or perhaps two months, I remarked. Yet, he went away with all of them, to find help? That is so, Alan. We begged him to stay, but he would not, and after all, the charges were his own property. No doubt he thought he acted for the best, especially as Marie would have none of him, Marie added with emphasis. Well, I replied, it seems that it is I who have brought you the help, and not Pereira. Also, by the way, mine heir, I have brought you the money my father collected on your account, and some five hundred pounds of my own, or what is left of it, in goods and gold. Moreover, Marie does not refuse me. Say, therefore, to which of us does she belong? It would seem that it should be to you, he answered slowly, since you have shown yourself so faithful, and were it not for you, she would now be lying yonder. And he pointed to the little heaps that covered the bones of most of the expedition. Yes, yes, it would seem that it should be to you, who twice have saved her life, and once have saved mine also. Now I suppose that he saw on my face the joy which I could not conceal, for he added hastily, Yet, Alan, years ago I swore on the book before God that never with my will should my daughter marry an Englishman, even if he were a good Englishman. Also, just before we left the colony, I swore again, in her presence, and that of Hernan Barrera, that I would not give her to you. So I cannot break my oath, can I? If I did, the good God would be avenged upon me. Some might think that when I came here, the good God was in the way of being avenged upon you for the keeping of that evil oath, I answered bitterly, glancing in my turn at the graves. Yes, they might, Alan, he replied without anger, for all his troubles had induced a reasonable frame of mind in him for a while. Yet his ways are past finding out, are they not? Now my anger broke out, and rising, I said, "'Do you mean, Mynheer Murray, that notwithstanding the love between us, which you know is true and deep, and notwithstanding that I alone have been able to drag both of you and the others out of the claws of death, I am never to marry Marie? Do you mean that she is to be given to a braggart who deserted her in her need?' "'And what if I do mean that, Alan? "'This, although I am still young, as you know well, I am a man who can think and act for himself. Also, I am your master here.' I have cattle and guns and servants. You do not. Well, I will take Marie, and if any should try to stop me, I know how to protect myself and her. This bold speech did not seem to surprise him in the least, or to make him think the worse of me. He looked at me for a while, pulling his long beard in a meditative fashion, then answered, I dare say that at your age I should have played the same game, and it is true that you have things in your fist. But much as she may love you, "'Marie would not go away with you. 
"'and leave her father to starve.' "'Then you will come with us as my father-in-law, Mynheer Murray. "'At any rate, it is certain that I will not go away "'and leave her here to starve.' "'Now I think that something which he saw in my eyes "'showed him that I was in earnest. "'At least he changed his tone and began to argue, "'almost to plead. "'Be reasonable, Alan,' he said. "'How can you marry Marie when there is no predicant to marry you? "'Surely if you love her so much, "'you would not pour mud upon her name, "'even in this wilderness.' "'She might not think it mud,' I replied. "'Men and women have been married "'without the help of priests before now.' by open declaration and public report, for instance, and their children held to be born in wedlock. I know that, for I have read the law of marriage. It may be, Alan, though I hold no marriage good unless the holy words are said. But why do you not let me come to the end of my story? Because I thought it was ended, Mynheer Murray. Not so, Alan. I told you that I had sworn that she should never marry you with my will. But when she is of age... "'which will be in some six months' time. "'My will counts no longer, "'seeing that then she is a free woman "'who can dispose of herself. "'Also I shall be clear of my oath, "'for no harm will come to my soul "'if that happens which I cannot help. "'Now, are you satisfied?' "'I don't know,' I answered doubtfully, "'for somehow all of Marais's casuistry, "'which I thought contemptible, "'did not convince me that he was sincere. "'I don't know,' I repeated, "'Much may chance in six months.' "'Of course, Alan. "'For instance, Marie might change her mind "'and marry someone else.' "'Or I might not be there to marry, mine heir. "'Accidents sometimes happen to men who are not wanted, "'especially in wild countries, or, for the matter of that, "'to those who are.' Makta, Alan! "'You do not mean that I—' "'No, mine heir,' I interrupted. "'But there are other people in the world besides yourself.' "'Hernan Pereira, for example, if he lives. "'Still, I am not the only one concerned in this matter. "'There is Marie yonder. Shall I call her?' "'He nodded, preferring probably that I should speak to her in his presence rather than alone. "'So I called Marie, who was watching our talk somewhat anxiously while she went about her tasks. "'She came at once. "'A very different Marie to the starving girl of a while before, "'for although she was still thin and drawn, Her youth and beauty were returning to her fast under the influences of good food and happiness. "'What is it, Alan?' she asked gently. I told her all, repeating our conversation and the arguments, which had been used on either side word for word, as nearly as I could remember them. "'Is that right?' I asked of Murray when I had finished. "'It is right. You have a good memory,' he answered. "'Very well. And now what do you have to say, Marie?' "'I? Dear Alan?' Why, this. My life belongs to you, who have twice saved this body of mine from death, as my love and spirit belong to you. Therefore, I should have thought it no shame if I had been given to you here and now before the people, and afterwards married by a clergyman when we found one. But my father has sworn an oath which weighs upon his mind, and he has shown you that within six months, a short six months, that oath dies of itself, since, by the law, he could no longer control me. So, Alan, "'as I would not grieve him, "'or perhaps lead him to say and do what is foolish. "'I think it would be well that we should wait for those six months, "'if, on his part, he promises that he will then do nothing "'to prevent our marriage.' "'Yeah, yeah, I promise that then I will do nothing to prevent your marriage,' "'answered Moray eagerly, 
like one who has suddenly seen some loophole of escape from an impossible position, adding, as though to himself, "'But God may do something to prevent it, for all that.' "'We are every one of us in the hand of God,' she replied in her sweet voice. "'Alan, you hear? My father has promised.' "'Yes, Marie, he has promised, after a fashion,' I replied, gloomily, for somehow his words struck a chill through me. "'I have promised, Alan, and I will keep my promise to you as I have kept my oath to God, attempting to work you no harm, and leaving all in his hands. But you, on your part, must promise also that, till she is of age, you will not take Marie as a wife. No, not if you were left alone together in the Belde. You must be as people who are affianced to each other no more.' So, having no choice, I promised, though with a heavy heart. Then, I suppose, in order to make this solemn contract public, Marais called the surviving Boers, who were loitering near, and repeated to them the terms of the contract that we had made. The men laughed and shrugged their shoulders. But Varal Prinsloo, I remember, said outright that she thought the business foolish, since if anyone had the right to Marie, I had, wherever I chose to take her. She added that, as for Hernan Pereira, "'He was a sneak and a stink-cat "'who had gone off to save his own life "'and left them all to die. "'If she were Marie, should they meet again, "'she would greet him with a pail full of dirty water in the face, "'as she herself meant to do if she got the chance. "'Vrau Prinsloo, it will be observed, "'was a very outspoken woman, "'and, I may add, an honest one. "'So this contract was settled. "'I have set it out at length "'because of its importance in our story. "'But now I wish... "'Ah! "'How I wish that I had insisted upon being married to Marie then and there. "'If I had done so, I think I should have carried my point, "'for I was the master of many legions in the shape of cattle, food, and ammunition, "'and rather than risk a quarrel with me, "'the other boors would have forced Marais to give way. "'But we were young and inexperienced. "'Also, it was fated otherwise. "'Who can question the decrees of fate written immutably, "'perhaps long before we were born?' "'in the everlasting book of human destinies. "'Yet, when I had shaken off my first fears and doubts, "'my lot and Maria's were very happy, "'a perfect paradise, indeed, "'compared with what we had gone through "'during that bitter time of silence and separation. "'At any rate, we were acknowledged to be affianced "'by the little society in which we lived, "'including her father, "'and allowed to be as much alone together as we liked. "'This meant that we met at dawn "'only to separate at nightfall, "'for... "'having little or no artificial light, "'we went to rest with the sun, or shortly after it. "'Sweet indeed was that companionship of perfect trust and love. "'So sweet, that even after all these years, "'I do not care to dwell upon the holy memory of those blessed months. "'So soon as the surviving boers began to recover "'by the help of my stores and medicines, "'and the meat which I shot in plenty, "'of course great discussions arose as to our future plans.' First it was suggested that we should trek to Lorenzo Marquez and wait for a ship there to take us down to Natal, for none of them would hear of returning beggared to the Cape to tell the story of their failure and dreadful bereavements. I pointed out, however, that no ship might come for a long while, perhaps for one or two years, and that Lorenzo Marquez and its neighborhood seemed to be a poisonous place to live in. The next idea was that we should stop where we were, one which I rather welcomed, "'as I should have been glad to abide in peace with Marie "'until the six months of probation had gone by. "'However, in the end, this was rejected for many good reasons. "'Thus half a score of white people, "'of whom four were members of a single family, "'were certainly not strong enough to form a settlement, 
"'especially as the surrounding natives "'might become actively hostile at any moment. "'Again, the worst fever season was approaching, "'in which we should very possibly all be carried off. "'Further, we had no breeding cattle or horses, "'which would not live in this veld, "'and only the ammunition and goods "'that I had brought with me. "'So it was clear that but one thing remained to be done, "'namely, to trek back to what is now the Transvaal Territory, "'or better still, to Natal.' "'for this route would enable us to avoid the worst of the mountains. "'There we might join some other party of the emigrant Boers. "'For choice, that of Retief, "'of whose arrival over the Drakensberg I was able to tell them. "'That point settled, we made our preparations. "'To begin with, I had only enough oxen for two wagons, "'whereas, even if we abandoned the rest of them, "'we must take at least four. "'Therefore, through my kaffirs, "'I opened negotiations with the surrounding natives, "'who... "'when they heard that I was not a boor "'and was prepared to pay for what I bought, "'soon expressed a willingness to trade. "'Indeed, very shortly we had quite a market established, "'to which the cattle were brought that I bargained for and purchased, "'giving cloth, knives, hose, "'and the usual kaffir goods in payment for the same. "'Also they brought mealies and other corn, "'and, oh, the delight with which those poor people, "'who for months and months had existed upon nothing but flesh meat, "'ate of this farinaceous food.' "'Never shall I forget seeing Marie and the surviving children "'partake of their first meal of porridge, "'and washing the sticky stuff down with droughts of fresh, sugared milk, "'for with the oxen I had succeeded in obtaining two good cows. "'It is enough to say that this change of diet "'soon completely re-established their health, "'and made Marie more beautiful than she had ever been before. "'Having got the oxen, the next thing was to break them to the yoke, "'for although docile creatures enough, "'they had never even seen a wagon.' This proved a long and difficult process, involving many trial trips. Moreover, the selected wagons, one of which had belonged to Pereira, must be mended with very insufficient tools and without the help of a forge. Indeed, had it not chanced that Hans, the Hottentot, had worked for a wagon maker at some indefinite period of his career, I do not think that we could have managed the job at all. It was while we were busy with these tasks that some news arrived which was unpleasing enough to everyone, "'except, perhaps, to Henri Marais. "'I was engaged on a certain evening "'in trying to make sixteen of the Kaffir cattle "'pull together in the yoke, "'instead of tying themselves into a double knot "'and oversetting the wagon, "'when Hans, who was helping me, suddenly called out, "'Look, boss, here comes one of my brothers,' "'or, in other words, a Hottentot. "'Following the line of his hand, "'I saw a thin and wretched creature, "'clad only in some rags "'and the remains of a big hat with the crown out, "'staggering towards us between the trees.' "'Why?' exclaimed Marie in a startled voice, "'for, as usual, she was at my side. "'It is Klaus, one of my cousin Hernan's after-writers. "'So long as it is not your cousin Hernan himself, "'I do not care,' I said. "'Presently the poor, starved Toddy arrived, "'and throwing himself down, begged for food. "'A cold shoulder of buck was given to him, "'which he devoured, "'holding it in both hands "'and tearing off great lumps of flesh "'with his teeth like a wild beast.' When at last he was satisfied, Marais, who had come up with the other boors, asked him whence he came and what was his news of his master. "'Out of the bush,' he answered, "'and my news of the boss is that he is dead. At least, I left him so ill that I suppose he must be dead by now.' "'Why did you leave him if he was ill?' asked Marais. "'Because he told me to, boss, that I might find help, for we were starving, having fired our last bullet.' "'Is he alone, then?' "'Yes, yes, except for the wild beasts and the vultures. "'A lion ate the other man, his servant, 
a long while ago. "'How far is he off?' asked Murray again. "'Boss, about five hours' journey on horseback on a good road. "'This would be some thirty-five miles.' "'Then he told his story. "'Pereira with his two hot-and-tot servants. "'He mounted, and they on foot, "'had traversed about a hundred miles of rough country in safety, "'when at night a lion killed and carried off one of the hot-and-tots, "'and frightened away the horse, which was never seen again.' Pereira and Klaus proceeded on foot until they came to a great river, on the banks of which they met some Kaffirs, who appeared to have been Zulus on outpost duty. These men demanded their guns and ammunition to take to their king, and, on Pereira refusing to give them up, said that they would kill them both in the morning after they had made him instruct them in the use of the guns by beating him with sticks. In the night a storm came on, under cover of which Pereira and Klaus escaped. As they dared not go forward for fear lest they should fall into the hands of the Zulus, they fled back northwards, running all night, only to find in the morning that they had lost their way in the bush. This had happened nearly a month before, or at any rate, Klaus thought so, for no doubt the days went very slowly, during which time they had wandered about, trying to shape some sort of course by the sun with the object of returning to the camp. They met no man, black or white, and supported themselves upon game, which they shot and ate, raw or sun-dried, till at length all their powder was done, and they then threw away their heavy roars, which they could no longer carry. It was at this juncture that from the top of a tall tree Klaus saw a certain copy, a long way off, which he recognized as being within fifteen miles or so of the Marais' camp. By now they were starving, only Klaus was the stronger of the two, for he found and devoured some carrion, a dead hyena, I think it was. Pereira also tried to eat this horrible food, but, not having the stomach of a hottentot, the first mouthful of it made him dreadfully ill. They sought shelter in a cave on the bank of a stream, where grew watercresses and other herbs, such as wild asparagus. Here it was that Pereira told Klaus to try and make his way back to the camp, and, should he find anyone alive there, to bring him help. So Klaus went, taking the remaining leg of the hyena with him, and on the afternoon of the second day, arrived, as has been told. We'll return with Chapter 10, right after these sponsor messages. And now, Chapter 10, Brow Prinsloo Speaks Her Mind. Now, when the Hottentot story was finished, a discussion arose. Murray said that someone must go to see whether his nephew still lived, to which the other Boers replied, Ja, in an indifferent voice. Then the Brow Prinsloo took up her parable. She remarked, as she had done before, that in her judgment Hernan Pereira was a stink-cat and a sneak who had tried to desert them in their trouble, and by the judgment of a just God had got into trouble himself. Personally, she wished that the lion had taken him instead of the worthy Hottentot, although it gave her a higher opinion of lions to conclude that it had not done so, because if it did, it thought it would have been poisoned. Well, her view was that it would be just as well to let that traitor lie upon the bed which he had made. Moreover, doubtless by now he was dead, "'so what was the good of bothering about him?' "'These sentiments appeared to appeal to the Boers, "'for they remarked, "'Yah! What is the good?' "'Is it right,' asked Murray, "'to abandon a comrade in misfortune, "'one of our own blood?' "'Mine Gott!' replied Brow Prinsloo. "'He is no blood of mine, the evil-odored Portuguese. "'But I admit he is of yours, Herr Murray, "'being your sister's son.' "'so it is evident that you should be the one to go seek after him.' "'That seems to be so, Brow Prinsloo,' said Murray in his meditative manner. 
"'Yet I must remember that I have Marie to look after.' "'Ach! And so had he, too, until he remembered his own skin, "'and went off with the only horse and all the powder, "'leaving her and the rest of us to starve. "'Well, you won't go, and Prinsloo won't go, "'nor my boy either, for I'll see to that. "'So Meyer must go.' Nine, nine, good growl, answered Meyer. "'I have those children that are left to me to consider.' "'Then,' exclaimed Rao Prinsloo triumphantly, "'nobody will go, so let us forget this stink-cat, as he forgot us.' "'Does it seem right,' asked Murray again, "'that a Christian man should be left to starve in the wilderness?' "'And then he looked at me. "'Tell me, Air Murray,' I remarked, answering the look, "'why should I, of all people, go to look for the Air Pereira, "'one who has not dealt too well with me?' "'I do not know, Alan, yet the book tells us to turn the other cheek and to forget injuries. "'Still it is for you to judge, remembering that we must answer for all things at the last day, and not for me. "'I only know that were I your age and not burdened with a daughter to watch over, I would go.' "'Why should you talk to me thus?' I asked with indignation. "'Why do you not go yourself, seeing that I am quite ready to look after Marie?' Here the Vrouw Prinsloo and the other boors tittered. "'And why do you not address your remarks to these other Aaron instead of to me, seeing that they are the friends and trek companions of your nephew?' At this point the male Prinsloos and Meyer found that they had business elsewhere. "'It is for you to judge, if remember, Alan, that it is an awful thing to appear before our Maker with the blood of a fellow creature upon our hands. But if you and these other hard-hearted men will not go, I, at my age, "'and weak as I am, with all that I have suffered, will go myself.' "'Good,' said Vrouw Prinsloo. "'That is the best way out of it. "'You will soon get sick of the journey, Air Murray, "'and we shall see no more of the stink-cat.' "'Murray rose in a resigned fashion, "'for he never deigned to argue with Vrouw Prinsloo, "'who was too many for him, and said, "'Farewell, Marie. "'If I do not return, you will remember my wishes, "'and my will may be found between the first leaves of our holy book.' "'Get up, Klaus, and guide me to your master.' "'And he administered a somewhat vicious kick "'to the gorged and prostrate Hottentot. "'Now Marie, who all this while had stood silent, "'touched me on the shoulder and said, "'Alan, is it well that my father should go alone? "'Will you not accompany him?' "'Of course,' I answered cheerfully. "'On such a business there should be two, "'and some kafirs also to carry the man, "'if he still lives.' Now for the end of that story. As the Hottentot Klaus was too exhausted to move that night, it was arranged that we should start at dawn. Accordingly, I rose before the light, and was just finishing my breakfast when Marie appeared at the wagon in which I slept. I got up to greet her, and, there being no one in sight, we kissed each other several times. "'Have done, my heart,' she said, pushing me away. "'I come to you from my father, who is sick in his stomach, and would see you.' "'Which means that I shall have to go after your cousin alone?' I replied, with indignant emphasis. She shook her head, and led me to the little shanty in which she slept. Here, by the growing light that entered through the doorway, for it had no window, I perceived Murray seated upon a wooden stool with his hands pressed upon his middle, and groaning. "'Good morning, Alan,' he said, in a melancholy voice. "'I am ill, very ill. Something that I have eaten, perhaps, or a chill in the stomach, such as often precedes fever or dysentery. "'Perhaps you will get better as you walk, mine heir,' I suggested, 
for to tell the truth, I misdoubted me of this chill, and knew that he had eaten nothing but what was quite wholesome. Walk? God alone knows how I can walk with something gripping my insides like a wagon-maker's vice. Yet I will try, for it is impossible to leave that poor Hernan to die alone, and if I do not go to seek him, it seems that no one else will. Why should not some of my kaffirs go with Klaus? I asked. Alan, he replied solemnly, if you were dying in a cave far from help, would you think well of those who sent raw kaffirs to secure you when they might have come themselves? Kaffirs you certainly would let you die, and return with some false story. I don't know what I should think, Air Murray, but I do know that if I were in that cave, and Pereira were in this camp, neither would he come himself, not so much as send a savage to save me. It may be so, Alan, but even if another's heart is black, should yours be black also? Oh, I will come, though it be to my death. And, rising from the stool with the most dreadful groan, he began to divest himself with the tattered blanket in which he was wrapped up. "'Oh, Alan, my father must not go. It will kill him,' exclaimed Marie, who took a more serious view of his case than I did. "'Very well, if you think so,' I answered. "'And now, as it is time for me to be starting, good-bye.' "'You have a good heart, Alan,' said Marie, sinking back upon his stool and resuming his blanket, while Marie looked despairingly first at one and then the other of us. Half an hour later I was on the road in the very worst of tempers. "'Mind what you're about,' called Brow Prinsloo after me. "'It is not lucky to save an enemy, and if I know anything of that stink-cat, he will bite your finger badly by way of gratitude.' "'Bah, lad! If I were you I should just camp for a few days in the bush, and then come back and say that I could find nothing in Pereira except the dead hyenas that had been poisoned by eating them.' "'But good luck to you all the same, Alan. "'May I find such a friend in need. "'It seems to me that you were born to help others. "'Beside the Hottentot Klaus, "'my companions on this unwelcome journey "'were three of the Zulu Kaffirs. "'For Hans, I was obliged to leave in charge "'of my cattle and goods with the other men. "'Also I took a pack-ox, "'an active beast that I had been training to carry loads "'and, if necessary, a man, "'although as yet it was not very well broken.' All that day we marched over extremely rough country, till at last darkness found us in a mountainous kloof, where we slept, surrounded by watchfires because of the lions. Next morning at the first light we moved on again, and about ten o'clock waded through a stream to a little natural cave where Klaus said he had left his master. This cave seemed extremely silent, and as I hesitated for a moment at its mouth, the thought crossed my mind that if Pereira were still there, he must be dead. Indeed, do what I would to suppress it, with that reflection came a certain feeling of relief and even of pleasure. For well I knew that Pereira alive was more dangerous to me than all the wild men and beasts in Africa put together. Thrusting back this unworthy sentiment as best I could, I entered the cave alone, for the natives, who dread the defilement at the touch of a corpse, lingered outside. It was but a shallow cavity washed out of the overhanging rock by the action of water, and as soon as my eyes grew accustomed to its gloom, I saw that at the end of it lay a man. So still did he lie, that now I was almost certain that his troubles were over. I went up to him and touched his face, which was cold and clammy, and then, quite convinced, turned to leave the place, which, I thought, if a few rocks were piled in the mouth of it, would make an excellent sepulchre. Just as I stepped out into the sunlight, and was about to call to the men to collect the rocks, however, I thought that I heard a very faint groan behind me, 
which at the moment I set down to my imagination. Still, I returned, though I did not much like the job, knelt down by the figure, and waited with my hand over its heart. For five minutes or more I stayed here, and then, quite convinced, was about to leave again, when for the second time I heard that faint groan. Pereira was not dead, but only on the extreme brink of death. I ran to the entrance of the cave, calling the Kaviers, and together we carried him out into the sunlight. He was an awful spectacle, mere bone with yellow skin stretched over it, and covered with filth and clotted blood from some hurt. I had brandy with me, of which I poured a little down his throat, whereon his heart began to beat feebly. Then we made some soup, and poured that down his throat with more brandy, and the end of it was he came to life again. For three days did I doctor that man, and really I believed that if at any time during those days I had relaxed my attentions even for a couple of hours, he would have slipped through my fingers. For at this business Klaus and the Kaffirs were no good at all. But I pulled him round, and on the third morning he came to his senses. For a long while he stared at me, for I had laid him in the mouth of the cave, where the light was good, although the overhanging rocks protected him from the sun. Then he said, Alamakta, you remind me of someone, young man. I know. It is of that damned English boy who beat me at the goose shooting, and made me quarrel with Uncle Retief, the jackanapes that Marie was so fond of. Well, whoever you are, you can't be he, thank God. You are mistaken, Herr Pereira, I answered. I am that same damned young English jackanapes, Alan Quartermain by name, who beat you at shooting. But if you take my advice, you will thank God for something else, namely, that your life has been saved. Who saved it? he asked. If you want to know, I did. I have been nursing you these three days. You? Alan Quartermain? Now, that is strange, for certainly I would not have saved yours. And he laughed a little, then turned over, and went to sleep. From that time forward his recovery was rapid, and two days later we began our journey back to Marais' camp, the convalescent Pereira being carried in a litter by our four natives. It was a task which they grumbled at a good deal, for the load was heavy over rough ground, and whenever they stumbled or shook him he cursed at them. So much did he curse, indeed, that at length one of the Zulus, a man with a rough temper, said that if it were not for the Inkus, meaning myself, he would put his assegai through him, and let the vultures carry him. After this, Pereira grew much more polite. When the bearers became exhausted, we set him on the pack-ox, which two of us led, while the other two supported him on either side. It was in this fashion that at last we arrived at the camp one evening. Here the Vrau Prinsley was the first to greet us. We found her standing in the game-path which we were following, quite a quarter of a mile from the wagons, with her hands set upon her broad hips and her feet apart. Her attitude was so defiant, and had about it such an air of premeditation, that I cannot help thinking she had got wind of our return, perhaps from having seen the smoke of our last fires, and was watching for us. Also her greeting was warm. "'Ah, here you come, Hernan Pereira,' she cried, "'riding on an ox, while better men walk. "'Well, now, I want to chat with you. "'How came it that you went off in the night, "'taking the only horse and all the powder?' "'I want to get help for you,' he replied sulkily. "'Did you, then? Did you, indeed? "'Well, it seems that it was you who wanted the help after all. "'What do you mean to pay the heir Alan Quartermain for saving your life?' "'for I am sure he has done so. "'You have got no goods left, "'although you were always boasting about your riches. "'They are now at the bottom of a river. 
"'so it will have to be in love and service. "'He muttered something about my wanting no payment for a Christian act. "'No, he wants no payment, Hernan Pereira. "'He is one of the true sort. "'But you'll pay him all the same, "'and in bad coin if you get the chance. "'Oh, I have come out to tell you what I think of you. "'You are a stink-cat. Do you hear that? "'A thing that no dog would bite if he could help it. "'You are a traitor also. "'You brought us to this cursed country.' "'where you said your relatives would give us wealth and land, "'and then, after famine and fever attacked us, "'you rode away, and left us to die to save your own dirty skin. "'And now you come back here for help, "'saved by him who you cheated in the goose kloof, "'by him whose true love you've tried to steal. "'Oh, my God! "'Why does the Almighty leave such fellows alive, "'while so many that are good and honest and innocent "'lie beneath the soil, because of people like you?' So she went on, striding at the side of the pack-ox, and reviling Pereira in a ceaseless stream of language, until at length he thrust his thumbs into his ears and glared at her in speechless wrath. Thus it was that at last we arrived in the camp, where, having seen us coming, all the boers were gathered. They are not a particularly humorous people, but this spectacle of the advance of Pereira seated on a pack-ox, a steed that is becoming to few riders, with the furious and portly Brow Prinsloo striding at his side and shrieking abuse at him, caused him to burst into laughter. Then Pereira's temper gave out, and he became even more abusive than Brow Prinsloo. "'Is this the way you receive me, you veld hogs, you common boors, who are not fit to mix with a man of position and learning like myself?' he began. "'Then in God's name why do you mix with us, Hernan Pereira?' asked the Saturnine Meyer. "'thrusting his face forward till the Newgate fringe he wore "'by way of a beard literally seemed to curl with wrath. "'When we were hungry you did not wish it, "'for you slunk away and left us, taking all the powder. "'But now that we are full again, thanks to the little Englishman, "'and you are hungry, you come back. "'Well, if I had my way, I'd give you a gun and six days' rations "'and turn you out to shift for yourself.' "'Don't be afraid, Jan Meyer,' shouted Pereira from the back of the pack-ox. "'As soon as I'm strong enough, I will leave you in charge of your English captain here.' "'And he pointed to me. "'And go tell our people what sort of folk you are.' "'Oh, that's good news,' interrupted Prinsloo, a stolid old boor, who stood by puffing at his pipe. "'Get well, then, get well as soon as you can, Hernan Pereira.' "'It was at this juncture that Marais arrived, accompanied by Marie. "'Where he came from I do not know.' "'but I think he must have been keeping in the background on purpose "'to see what kind of reception Pereira would meet with. "'Silence, brothers,' he said. "'Is this the way you greet my nephew, "'who has returned from the gate of death, "'when you should be on your knees thanking God for his deliverance?' "'Then go on your knees and thank him yourself, Henri Marais,' "'screamed the irrepressible Vrouw Prinsloo. "'I give thanks for the safe return of Alan, "'though it is true they would be warmer "'if he had left this stink-hat behind him. "'Allah Makta! "'Henri Marais, why do you make so much of this pompous Portuguese fellow? "'Has he bewitched you? "'Or is it because he is your sister's son, "'or because you want to force Marie there to marry him? "'Or is it perhaps that he knows of something bad in your past life, "'and you have to bribe him to keep his mouth shut?' "'Now, whether this last unpleasant suggestion "'was a mere random arrow drawn from Brow Prinsloo's well-stored quiver, "'or whether the Brow had got hold of the tail end of some long-buried truth,' I do not know. Of course, however, the latter explanation is possible. Many men have done things in their youth which they do not wish to see dug up in their age, and Pereira may have learned a family secret of the kind from his mother. 
At any rate, the effect of the old lady's words upon Murray was quite remarkable. Suddenly he went into one of his violent and constitutional rages. He cursed Vrouw Prinsloo. He cursed everybody else, assuring them severally and collectively that heaven would come even with them. He said there was a plot against him and his nephew, and that I was at the bottom of it. I who had made his daughter fond of my ugly little face. So furious were his words, whereof there were many more which I have forgotten, that at length Marie began to cry and ran away. Presently, too, the boors strolled off, shrugging their shoulders, one of them saying audibly that Marais had gone quite mad at last, as he always thought he would. Then Marais followed them, throwing up his arms and still cursing as he went, and, slipping over the tail of the pack-ox, Pereira followed him. So the Vrouw Prinsloo and I were left alone, for the colored men had departed, as they always do when white people begin to quarrel. "'There, Alan, my boy,' said the Vrouw, and triumphed. "'I have found the sore place on the mule's back.' "'and didn't I make him squeal and kick, "'although on most days of the week "'he seems to be such a good and quiet mule, "'at any rate, of late.' "'I dare say you did, Prowl,' I said wrathfully, "'but I wish you would leave mine heir Marais's sore places alone, "'seeing that if the squeals are for you, "'the kicks are for me.' "'What does that matter to you, Alan?' she asked. "'He always was your enemy, "'so that is just as well you should see his heels "'when you are out of reach of them. "'My poor boy!' "'I think you will have a bad time of it between the stink-cat and the mule, "'although you have done so much for both of them. "'Well, there is one thing. "'Marie has a true heart. "'She will never marry any man except yourself, Alan, "'even if you are not here to marry,' she added as an afterthought. "'The old lady paused a little, staring at the ground. "'Then she looked up and said, "'Alan, my dear, for she was really fond of me "'and called me thus at times. "'You didn't take the advice I gave you, "'namely to look for Pereira, and not to find him. "'Well, I will give you some more, "'which you will take if you are wise.' "'What is it?' I asked doubtfully, "'for, although she was upright enough in her own way, "'the Vrouw Prinsloo could bring herself "'to look at things in strange lights. "'Like many other women, "'she judged of moral codes by the impulses of her heart, "'and was quite prepared to stretch them to suit circumstances "'or to gain an end which she considered good in itself. "'Just this lad,' "'Do you make a two-days' march with Marie into the bush? "'I want a little change, so I will come too, and marry you there, "'for I have got a prayer-book, and can spell out the service "'if we go through it once or twice first. "'Now, the vision of Marie and myself being married by the Vrouw Prinslow "'in the vast and untrodden veld, although attractive, was so absurd that I laughed. "'Why do you laugh, Alan? "'Anyone can marry people if there is no one else there. "'Indeed, I believe that they can marry themselves.' "'I dare say,' I answered, "'not wishing to enter into a legal argument with the Vrouw. "'But you see, Tante, "'I solemnly promised her father "'that I would not marry her until she was of age, "'and if I broke my word, "'I should not be an honest man.' "'An honest man?' "'She exclaimed with the utmost contempt. "'An honest man? "'Well, are Murray and Hernan Pereira "'honest men? "'Why do you not cut your stick "'the same length as theirs, Alan Quartermain?' "'I tell you that your verdomed honesty will be your ruin. "'You remember my words later on.' "'And she marched off in a high dudgeon. "'When she had gone, I went to my wagons, "'where Hans was waiting for me with a detailed and interminable report "'of everything that had happened in my absence. "'Glad was I to find that, except for the death of one sickly ox, "'nothing had gone wrong. "'When at length he had ended his long story, "'I ate some food, which Marie sent over for me ready-cooked, 
"'for I was too tired to join any of the boers that night. "'Just as I had finished my meal and was thinking of turning in, "'Marie herself appeared within the circle of the campfire's light. "'I sprang up and ran to her, "'saying that I had not expected to see her that evening, "'and did not like to come to the house. "'No,' she answered, drawing me back into the shadows. "'I understand. "'My father seems very much upset, almost mad, indeed. "'If the Brow Prinsloo's tongue had been a snake's fang,' "'It could not have stung him worse.' "'And where is Pereira?' I asked. "'Oh, my cousin sleeps in the other room. "'He is weak and worn out. "'All the same, Alan, he tried to kiss me. "'So I told him at once how matters stood between you and me, "'and that we were to be married in six months.' "'What did he say to that?' I asked. "'He turned to my father and said, "'Is this true, my uncle?' "'And my father answered, "'Yes, that is the best bargain I could make with the Englishman.' "'seeing that you were not here to make a better. "'And what happened then, Marie?' "'Oh, then Ernan thought a while. "'At last he looked up and said, "'I understand. "'Things have gone badly. "'I acted for the best, "'who went away to try to find help for all of you. "'I failed. "'Meanwhile the Englishman came and saved you. "'Afterwards he saved me also. "'Uncle, in all this I see God's hand. "'Had it not been for this Alan... "'None of us would be alive. "'Yes, God used him that we might be kept alive. "'Well, he has promised that he will not marry Marie for six months. "'And you know, my uncle, that some of these English are great fools. "'They keep their promises even to their own loss. "'Now in six months, much may happen. "'Who knows what will happen?' he said. "'Were you present when you heard all this, Marie?' I asked. "'No, Alan. I was at the other side of the reed partition.' "'But at those words I entered and said, "'My father and cousin Hernan, "'please understand that there is one thing "'which will never happen.' "'What is that?' asked my cousin. "'It will never happen that I shall marry you, Hernan,' "'I replied. "'Who knows, Marie, who knows?' he said. "'I do, Hernan,' I answered. "'Even if Alan were to die tomorrow, "'I would not marry you, either then or twenty years hence. "'I am glad that he has saved your life.' "'but henceforth we are cousins and nothing more.' "'You hear what the girl tells us,' said my father. "'Why do you not give up the business? "'What is the use of kicking against the pricks?' "'If one wears stout boots and kicks hard enough, "'the pricks give way,' said Ernan. Six months is a long time, my uncle.' "'It may be so, cousin,' I said. "'But remember that neither six months, nor six years, "'nor six thousand years are long enough to make me marry any man "'except Alan Quartermain." "'who has just rescued you from death. "'Do you understand?' "'Yes,' he replied. "'I understand that you will not marry me. "'Only then I promise that you shall not marry "'either Alan Quartermain or any other man.' "'God will decide that,' I answered, "'and came away, leaving him and my father together. "'And now, Alan, tell me all that has happened "'since we parted.' "'So I told her everything, "'including the Vrau Prinsloo's advice.' "'Of course, Alan, you were quite right,' she remarked, when I had finished. "'But I am not sure that the Brown Prinsloo was not also right in her own fashion. "'I am afraid of my cousin, Hernan, who holds my father in his hand, fast. "'Still, we have promised, and we must keep our word.'" Thanks for joining us for Chapters 9 and 10 of Marie by H. Ryder Haggard. Join us next week Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, for chapter 11, The Shot in the Kloof. 
We appreciate reviews very much for 1001 Greatest Love Stories. Reviews help new listeners find us. We also appreciate your sharing our show. Until next Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.